0: You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back everybody to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. My name's Jack. Today I'm joined by Jake and Aiden as always. How are you guys doing? Hi, Jack. Uh, I'm good. Been watching a lot of MLS playoffs
1: this week. Very exciting. Obviously, we're recording this uh, immediately after the the PSG-United game. So, very disappointed with that one. Very angry, but I'll get over it. Aiden, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Obviously, like you said, United just fell to PSG. But I think you know I'm always an optimist around United. So, at least it creates another exciting match day. And if you lose against Leipzig and you lose half your group games, probably don't deserve to go through in the uh, the group of death as it were so i'm well i'm just doing a lot of schoolwork. how are you jack
0: i'm doing well there i don't know about you guys but we got like 10 feet of snow at our house in two days i actually like came home from work and plowed the driveway at like 2 30 and then was like i was pretty happy because i thought okay next day i won't have to do anything because it's done snowing And then I was just like, just hanging out for a little bit and I check outside and there's more snow in the driveway than there was previously. So I had to go to work again, just trying to plow through the snow with the car. But I don't know, what did you, do you guys get a lot of snow?
2: Yeah, it was snowing for like two days straight, like just nonstop. So luckily I live in a part, which like one of the only good things about living in an apartment is someone else clears it away. But yeah, it was just snowing like nonstop. What about you, Jake?
1: Yeah, we got quite a bit down here too. Probably not as much as you guys from what it sounds like. And I'm not going to get into the geography of it, but we're between two lakes. So like we don't get as much snow normally. Um, but yeah, still still a decent amount.
0: <laughs> there, there, there's the weather report. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start off today. Uh, we just want to quickly touch on the sad news that Diego Maradona sadly passed away. Um, obviously one of the best players of all time, but he is a player that, uh, it was definitely before our our time, but we have recognized, we obviously know he's a legend of the game. And when you actually look up the clips and all the different moments that he had, um, just like a truly, truly special player. And uh, I, I think one of the biggest things you could say is like, he'd be one of the, one of the players of the past that you really wish that you'd be able to say based off of what, like uh, based off of what people have seen, him play and have seen the modern game and just for people to say he, he was truly, truly special. Uh, it, it's always, it's always sad to see something like that happen. But uh, Jake, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously it's super sad news. Yeah. Like you said, obviously very
1: sad. Uh, it's kind of like one of those moments where everyone's like in 20 years, you are like, Oh man, like I actually remember what happened. Cause it's not obviously I'm not saying it's obviously sad when anyone dies, but it's like when such a big like icon, uh, literally everyone around the world kind of looks up to it's, it's it's obviously very very tragic for for his family um and it's nothing we want to see but at least now people can kind of appreciate the way he was uh w- when he was alive i guess that the one the one upside to take out of it like you said we, obviously we've never seen him play uh in person but of course we've all seen the highlights um and obviously he was he was an incredible player uh, you saw the tributes uh, on tv and the the pundits and everyone else uh so yeah it not not much to add to it it's kind of always hard to express in words when something like this happens but it's 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 really very sad what happened to him and uh and yeah ho- hopefully uh hopefully things can start to get better now for his family
0: i know it's only a week but we're hoping it's very sad news we'll move on to just a quick reaction i guess we'll start this off a quick reaction from you guys we'll go over it quickly because it is still the group stages of the champions league but like you said uh we've just finished watching manchester united fall uh two or three one to psg at old trafford uh aiden will come to you first uh what, what's your your reaction to this game
2: yeah, it was a, an interesting game all around. Lots of drama occurred on the night. But I know a lot of fans will be dismayed. I'm, I'm not too sad because when you play against top sides, I, I don't think you can expect to win every game. And in my opinion, United have been getting a lot of referee luck. And just tonight it didn't really go their way in some situations. In other situations it did, but overall you'd probably say the second like the second challenge or the second yellow card when fred got sent off wasn't really a a second booking or a sending off but he already got away with it earlier and it would have been much worse if uh if he would have got sent off i just thought it's funny how like psg are always the ones uh that are kind of creating the contact or creating the conflict like Paredes leaning in first there and then they're always falling on the floor and you see similar situations with Neymar and McTominay. And I don't know, they're a really unlikable team. We, we always say that on this podcast, but I just think it's the honest truth. If you're not a PSG fan, which I've never really heard of those, you're probably not going to, going to be uh, enjoying watching them. And on the overall performance, I think United just, they didn't take a lot of their chances. I know they're not going to take a hundred percent of their chances, but, one that sticks out in my mind was the Martial uh, kind of a sitter from the the left-hand side of the six yard box. Uh, Great play from Rashford and uh, combining with Cavani and then putting the the cut back in and Martial just blew it over the bar. And then the other one was just Cavani just chipping it off the bar and then Martial having a shot uh, blocked after it was laid back by Bruno. Uh, I don't think United were super poor in this game, but I think Jake will tell you I was kind of, and uh, this was one of the only points of the game where I agreed with the commentators. They had a, a bit of a shocker, as we've already touched on uh, before we started recording. I was saying to uh, Jake in the first half that Solskjaer should take Fred off and um, put on Van de Beek at the start of the second half maybe keep a bit more possession and and play more forward passes. It looks like PSG are able to be uh, got at it. doesn't look like they're very intense defensively overall. Um, But United, they also looked a bit shaky whenever PSG were going forward. Every time for me, when Mbappe or Neymar were at the edge of the area, you're just thinking, oh boy, uh, this could result in a bit of trouble. And De Gea had to pull out a really good save on backer. I'm, I'm not too upset. There's still another game week. Uh, in the Champions League or another match day, so it's all to play for, and it's another big uh, European night. So hopefully United can pull it out against Leipzig, and if they don't, they don't. They don't really deserve to go through. I think if you're going to be like reflective on the overall group stage so far, just to finish off, is that you'll just be upset with the uh, the first performance against Schalke here more than anything. Uh, not even the result, just if you're going to lose against them maybe 1-0 but the performance was dreadful that night so if anything i'll just be d- disappointed by that if they go out but i'm still expecting them to go through and beat leipzig what do you think jake
1: yeah like you said uh not overly dismayed at this at this one i was i was one of those who was dismayed i was <laughs> i was incredibly angry um and it was mostly just because like PSG are a good team. They've got some good players, but I feel like United should have, should have punished them. Uh, they had the, they had the, the much better chances. I'd like to see like the XG after the game, obviously, like you mentioned, Martial hitting over the bar and Cavani, uh, Cavani crossbar the chances that kind of stand out. um But yeah, just, oh just very angry. Like you said, PSG, not, not a likable team at all. They are just very annoying to play against. That's also another reason why I was so frustrated. It was just their antics, and it seemed like the referee was just playing into it. Like every time Neymar would go down, he'd get a foul. Even if there was a contact, he'd just make sure he, he shouts nice and loud and the referee would blow the whistle for him. Um, like we said, we saw him, we saw him touching Scott McTominay, probably where he shouldn't at halftime and nothing or right before halftime and nothing happened. And uh, but I'm just salty just because United lost. So I'm sure if they would have won, I wouldn't be mentioning this. But uh and yeah, like you mentioned, I'm just the reason next weekend, the reason why I was so nervous during this game is because i don't trust united at all and they had the chance to to put the group stage away and confirm their their first place uh today um obviously they they didn't do that but now they need to go in a high pressure situation uh to leipzig and and uh and draw uh, at the minimum i just don't trust united unfortunately leipzig know they need to get a result out of the game to advance so obviously they're going to be up for it um well sorry let me correct myself. Leipzig know they'll, they'll need a result probably depending on what happens in the PSG game. But we're assuming that they'll beat Basakshi here. Um, and yeah, honestly, at this stage, if you asked me before the group stage where I was pessimistic too, if you to, if you asked me United to be on nine points after five games um, in this situation, still everything to play for in the last day, I would have taken it. It's just getting off to such a good start after beating PSG and Leipzig in the first two games and then losing to Basak here, where I get frustrated because United had the chance to already be qualified. Uh, now And now um, we just have to wait a bit longer. But it's like Keen said at the weekend, uh, when you support United, you get you get heart attacks every every couple of weeks. So, over yeah, just overall, just <laughs> just very disappointed. Yeah. Um, but like you said, United played very well. I can't I can't fault any of the players. Just gotta take the chances next time. Hopefully, um, I don't know. Hopefully, there's some some finishing training going on for Martial here. Uh, obviously, I still love him. Just that was just a little bit of a joke, but still. And um, yeah. Hopefully, a big win versus Leipzig. But it'll be an exciting week, that's for sure. Jack, what'd you think about this one?
0: Yeah, like like you guys said, it's not the end of the world. Like they still have one more game and it is up to them if, if they beat Leipzig or I think even if they draw Leipzig against Leipzig they're through. So, yeah. They still have the opportunity to, to uh to progress into the into the next stage and get out of the group. Um you guys covered most of the stuff that happened. I would like to add that Cavani chip. If Cavani scored, that that definitely deserved a goal. That was so nice. And then also, not, well, I I guess it's it's part of the game. But the whoever was on the commentary team had an absolute shocker tonight. Like the ref wasn't good because like we all know, I think we all agree that headbutt on Fred was definitely red card. So I don't really know how he stayed on. But then he sent him off in the second half for that tackle. But the tackle in my he wins the ball. So I don't in my opinion, that's not a sending off. But the, how the commentators were saying, well, yeah, he's unlucky there, but he should be sent off, and therefore it makes it all okay. It makes no sense to me, so I thought they had an absolute nightmare, and we're just desperate for Fred to get sent off or get yeah. sent off. They were, like, calling for it from, from, like, the 30th minute onwards. They just wanted Fred off. They are like, this guy's so lucky to be on the field. The star needs to take him off, and just kept saying that over and over. It's like, we're all watching a game. You don't have to repeat yourself 50 times here, but... That, that was that was my biggest takeaway from the games. How annoying the commentary team yeah. was!
2: But Townsend and yeah. Martin Tyler,
0: <laughs> they they had an absolute nightmare. It was it, it was just so annoying. I ended up just like turning the volume down for the last couple of minutes because, it's uh, just just not good. Just like we're all watching the game. You don't have to reiterate that you want a guy subbed off or sent off fifty times. But yeah, uh, Man United. They they still have a chance to go through. So uh, we'll move on into the or not the Champions League, the Premier League action that happened over the weekend. Going to be honest here, you guys will have to carry this part of the podcast because I was working and I barely saw any of the games this weekend. But we will start off uh, Crystal Palace playing Newcastle. Newcastle coming away um with a two nil away victory and uh jake what were your thoughts on this one calvin wilson and joel Linton getting the two late goals for newcastle
1: yeah honestly i didn't watch this one because it was a friday so i had some it was either at school or at work um but not just by name probably not the most exciting game of the weekend newcastle versus crystal palace not sure too many people would have paid for the pay-per-view for this one uh if that was still in place but uh, I know Aiden's, Aiden's Aiden watched the game, so I'll let him touch on it more in depth. But a good win for Newcastle. They're kind of starting to slide here. But Steve Bruce again showing his worth. Um Crystal Palace. Uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Crystal Palace, there's they're a solid, reliable team, but they're not gonna win every game this season. They're not gonna they're not gonna finish in the top ten, but they're not gonna get relegated either. So it's just kind of one of those. Um Newcastle, two late goals, <laughs> whatever you could take away from that, that they that they don't give up or that. Palace just got tired. Uh, it's kind of up to to yourself to interpret, but uh, you can't can't disagree. Newcastle really needed this win, and I'm sure they're they're glad they got it. Um, Aiden, I'll let you talk more in depth about this one since you saw it, though.
2: Yeah, it wasn't that exciting of the game, in my opinion. It was more of uh, two teams that are that are kind of similar in a way. Maybe Crystal Palace do it a little bit better, but are trying to hit you on the counter and just soak up a lot of pressure, and not concede a lot of goals, and. Newcastle were just a little bit better defensively. Honestly, if, if Palace had uh, the cutting edge maybe of Zaha in the match, they probably would have been able to, to maybe score earlier on and take the three points. But I just think Newcastle were just resolute and, and like having Slup and IU up front wasn't really going to cut it for Crystal Palace overall in the match. And yeah, just a just a decent performance, just hitting them on the break late on to get a couple goals. <laughs> That's really all that happened. There wasn't too many great performances. It was kind of just a standard lower end Premier League game.
0: Yeah, I don't really have anything to add other than I did see Crystal Palace fans are very upset conceding an eighty eighth minute and a ninetieth minute uh, goal. But Newcastle, another big win for them, and so far the season they're doing much better than. Uh, i personally expected them to do but we'll we'll see if it continues we'll see we'll see what their xg looks like at the end of the season but i'm how it looks right now they're going to outperform their xg they're probably going to finish a lot higher than they technically should if you're going based off the stats but uh, move on brighton coming away with a 1-1 draw against liverpool again i didn't see (laughs) I didn't see this one but i did see that uh, Brighton were awarded 93rd minute penalty to uh, salvage a point after G- Diego Jota gets another goal for Liverpool. Uh, Jacob, come to you again. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, just to touch on obviously Jota. First, everyone, I'm
1: sure whoever's listening to this knows by now that he's a player I really like. He's, what a great signing for Liverpool. Um, it's really worked out. I think it was 45 million. Uh, I'm not sure many people expected them to start like this or even to see the field uh, too often, but really come in handy here. Um, I think Brighton actually played, played really well, especially against a team with Liverpool's quality. It's not like they were just sitting back, hoping not to get smashed like three, four nil. Uh, they really, obviously we've, we were expecting this from Brighton by now, but they really had to go. They ended the game with more shots than Liverpool. Um, and of course the main talking point, like you mentioned, that late penalty, this might be a crime for United fan to to say, but I'm not sure if that was a penalty. Of course, I'm I'm glad it was it was given, um, uh, Brighton's way. But I just think the contact is not enough. It's just for me, it's just annoying because I don't think that every contact in the box is a penalty, even if you don't get the ball. Just in that case from Robertson, I don't think it was a, a hard enough kick to Welbeck uh, to get a penalty, or I don't think it was enough to like impede his movement or impede his shot or anything, but. Like I said, happy happy it was given. Just I know if it was United who got a penalty given against them for something like that, I would be upset. Um, but other than that, just kind of very happy Liverpool. Not not exactly slipping in the league since they're still in the, tied for first place, but they've already they've already drawn three games this season, and I think they've lost one, so they're not at their at their sparkling best. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries, so we could kind of kind of make an excuse for that. Uh, not that we will, but. They've done relatively well, but obviously it's, it's just nice to see Brighton getting rewarded for the way that they play now, moving a bit further away from the relegation zone, which obviously we're happy about. I think we all like Brighton. And yeah, they just they just did really well, and they're really not afraid of anyone. So that's it's nice to see a team play like that and get rewarded, even if they're technically a smaller team. Um, but yeah, very happy with the result. I'm sure they will be too. Uh, Aiden, what you think about this one?
2: you yeah, know, it was really a game of a lot of incident. Even if you, if you didn't watch it, you look at the numbers and say, Oh, that looks a little bit boring. Not a lot of shots, but Liverpool also had two close calls of uh, goals that were disallowed and uh, Brighton, they would have had a penalty call for handball on Fabinho, but it was after ruled after that uh, gross was offside, I believe. Actually, no, wait, it was uh, not gross. Who's the, the other guy? Uh, I think it was Trosard who was actually offside. Um, so, yeah, it was a game of a lot of incident, and I, I don't think it was a penalty at the end of the game, a bit harsh. Uh, but Welbeck could have scored earlier, too. He, he took the ball away from Henderson, and but then he just, uh, in, a, in a kind of advantageous area, but then he just shot it straight at Allison, so that wasn't great from him. Uh, Danny, not the highest caliber technical player, but he put in a shift for you, so, and he's a bit athletic. Uh, overall, I think that Liverpool would be disappointed as you could probably tell from their manager and after his interview and his his incident that I'll touch on in a bit or we'll touch on in a bit. But Brighton have to be happy that they, they haven't got um, as many points probably as their performances have merited. So this kind of went the other way for them. So I was glad to see it, especially against Liverpool. What do you think, Jack?
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, especially like Brighton. They are a lot lower down. I'll check right now. Brighton, they're currently, after this weekend, they're currently in 16th on 10 points, but they have created a ton of chances this season. It's been more down to the fact that they just haven't taken their chances, even though they have played uh, really well for the most part. So I, I think we all expect them to climb up the table a little bit like you said, touching on Klopp when things don't go his way. And you could see the interview after the game where he just got super mad at the, at the, uh, I think it was like a Sky Sports uh, punt or a journalist or something. And he was basically blaming him for making the schedule and talking about, and, and I don't disagree with him when he when Klopp says, oh, it's all about protecting the players and blah, 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 blah. But that, that which is all fine. And I completely agree with that. But then you see them play we're recording this on Wednesday, but yesterday they played against Midland in the Champions. Or, sorry, not Midland. They played against Ajax. Sorry. And Klopp made his first substitution in like the 87th minute in a competition that you're allowed five substitutes. So, I don't. If it's about protecting the players, you at least have to show that. If he comes out and says, "Oh, it's about winning the game," which it definitely was. If he says it's about winning games, you have no problem with that, but. The fact that you're talking about player safety, player safety, and then you're just running your same players into the ground without rotating the squad at all, I think just sometimes you have to look at that team and be like, how many how many games are Mane, Salah, Firmino, and all these guys? They they literally do play every single game without any rotation for for a long time now. So I don't know. It just just kind of annoys me. I do think Klopp, in my opinion, as much as I don't like Liverpool, he is the best manager in the world, in my opinion. But just you know when things don't go his way i just think he becomes a bit of a crybaby. but aiden what do you think about that
2: yeah just touching on that there's a really good uh debate or, or kind of talk about that on sky sports youtube between gary neville and uh, jamie Carriger. and another point that Klopp was trying to bring up is about the what Solskjaer was saying with the the 7th or the the 12 p.m kickoffs in the uk the or the 1230s, the 730s over here, if we were watching them, that's when they would be, and playing in the Champions League and then go, and then playing at 730 on the Saturday after you play on Wednesday. And then, like, Neville brought up the stats and, the like, the um, matches um, per day for this Liverpool team are, like, uh, less than some other teams like going back because this goes back to 2002 and it shows that the matches per day are less than a lot of other teams have done when they've played in the Champions League kind of thing. So the strain isn't that hard because Klopp was trying to say, of course, COVID factors into it, but he was trying to say it's kind of a, a, like an unusual season kind of thing. And I didn't know this until the stats and Gary Neville admitted this, but I thought the season was completely crunched in into space but when you look at this, the numbers Liverpool aren't playing more games in the amount of days than compared to past seasons so uh, I thought that was really interesting and yeah if it is protecting the players I agree it's probably been like a three-year span where he's been starting the same players over and over he did have the most substitutions in the Premier League last year but he started as pretty much the same players almost every single game I don't know what you guys think
0: yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that clip of of Gary, and I, I agreed with everything he said. He basically he he mentioned other teams too. I think it was like Chelsea back in two thousand and four something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they had like a tougher schedule now, and nothing was said about it. And more games and in in, uh, in last time, and and nothing was really said about it. But like, like you said, it's just about if I have no problem if 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 um if Klopp's asking for for five subs or whatever, and, and then and then using them and actually showing that he's rotating his team. But if you're just going to complain about all these injuries and stuff and then just run your players into the ground and make no substitutions in a game that you need to win on the 87th minute, that can't be what you're saying. You can't be like, oh, it's about player safety. It's about, it's about winning. We all do know that. It's just I, I'd like to see him actually come out and, and say that rather than just say it's all about safety because it's obviously not the case. Case. But sorry, Jake, I, I think I cut you off there.
1: No, I was just going to say, like, obviously, I, I agree with Klopp and what you're saying. Like, it's about player safety. Um I didn't like the five subs rule, but that's not up to me. But everyone's in the same boat, right? It's not just Liverpool. It's happening to United, to Chelsea, to, to Manchester City, too. So that's all I was just going to say. It's just everyone's in the same boat. Um And yeah, it's just that's about
2: it. Another interesting point to bring up is that in the Atalanta match, he brought on Andy Robertson after the game was already gone for absolutely no reason. Uh, they were already down 2-0. He doesn't really need to do that. Um, of course, maybe he wants to get back on the game if for talking about protecting the players and, and resting players. That's not really a good formula either.
0: Yeah, there we go. That's, that's all we're saying. It's just at times can be very, very questionable, Questionable, I think is, is kind of our conclusion, even though we do agree it is about player safety. Just you got to make sure you back that up with your with your decisions and your squad rotation. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, this is a very expected result. Manchester City beating Burnley 5-0 at home in probably the perfect matchup for Manchester City against Burnley who just sit in all game Uh, Riyad Mahrez getting a hat trick Uh, Benjamin Mendy getting on the score sheet and Ferran Torres uh, getting a goal as well I didn't see this game to be honest there's think we all could have actually just predicted this one if you guys have anything to add Jake not much of value
1: just like you said is very much expected Uh, Burnley 30% possession City had uh, twice as many passes as them Um, well more than twice as many but just, yeah, I just deserved City finally getting to scoring more than one goal in the game, but uh, with, without going in depth on it, obviously we saw them struggle uh, as well last night um, against FC Porto in scoring again. So was, I guess this game was just an anomaly for now, but it was a very good result for them. Yeah, do you have anything to
2: add? No, not really. Just John Stones back in the lineup getting a clean sheet. That's obviously good. Whenever he's in the lineup to keep a clean sheet, that's a bit of a... An anomaly maybe and uh, boost his confidence. And then also just congratulating Riyad Maros on a hundred Premier league goals, uh, reaching that milestone. That's it.
0: Yeah. Like, like we said, it's just an expected result. Even though Man City haven't been good recently, we do expect them to beat Burnley. That's the t- perfect team for them to play. Um, and we'll see, maybe they get their season back on track uh, after this result. Uh, next game we have Everton. Playing Leeds United at Goodison Park, Everton losing one nil. And before I go on too much of a rant, uh, actually, no, you guys, you guys give your opinions first, and then I'll and then I'll give mine. Uh, Jake will start with
1: you. I think uh, it was kind of it only finished one 0 So if you look at the scoreline, you figure it's probably just another run of the mill game. It was actually a very exciting game. Um, both teams had, I think, probably. Maybe five or six combined chances that they should have scored. Um, the ones that stand out really, Decoré. I think he missed a net when there was really no one in there, and I think Jack Harrison did the same for Leeds. Um, so it was definitely a, a game with a lot of action in it. It was a it was kind of quite a while ago, so I can't remember like the exact details of what happened, but I do remember Leeds were just spamming the shots. I think they had they were somewhere in the twenties for their shots for this game. Uh, I believe it was twenty three. So they, they were really, obviously, we know how how potent they are going forward. But, again, they're showing it pretty much game in, game out. Uh, Rafinha scored his first goal uh, since joining Leeds. Obviously, it was a very good finish in the bottom corner. Again, I saw a little, a little bit of anger towards Pickford. For A lot of people were saying that he should have saved it. I don't I don't agree. I don't have any problem with Pickford there. Um, the, the ball's going across to him. It was right in the side inning. Not much he could do about it. Very nice to watch, though. I think Everton had their chances, too, like I mentioned. DeCourie missing the net when he really should have scored it. But also, I think they had two goals uh, ruled out for offside. Um, So, obviously, it it was just a a matter of timing themselves a couple centimeters better. And and it could have been a very different result. Obviously, the lineups kind of, we were expecting uh, Niels and Kunku to start for Everton at the left wing back. Uh, with uh, Lucas Dean out injured, but instead it was a Woby on the left, Tom Davies on the right, so not probably not something that made that made Jack very happy. Uh, I think Allen played incredibly well in this game, uh, really showing uh, really his quality. Like he was, he was really worth. He was very much worth uh, the price that Everton paid for him. Uh, again, the subs off the bench for Everton not the most inspiring. Delf Bernard and Andre Gomez. So, uh, I'm. I'm Fairly certain that they're not any game changers. They won't do anything special. Uh, I could be wrong. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting, to Everton start in uh, the 3-4-3. Three, three. So they're, they're changing formations quite quite often now. So I don't know if that's just due to personnel or tactics or just uh, the specific opposition just trying to shut out leads um but i'm sure it was probably exciting to see the the three englishmen starting in defense keen uh godfrey and, and holgate i think godfrey had a nice sh- uh, a shot cleared off the line or sorry he cleared a shot off the line so he played much better i think i thought uh as a as a center back than a right back obviously it's his natural position so we're expecting it but yeah it was very a very eventful game it was nice to watch um and yeah, they don't have too much to add. I think uh, Melier had a couple good saves as well. I had a couple. I think he had maybe a, a one or two scary moments where his distribution wasn't the best and he put his team under pressure. But uh, we've kind of we've kind of grown to used to that from from him. Um, not to pick on him or anything. It's just something that that's in his game at the moment. But he's still young, so he's got lots of time. And yeah, overall a, a really good good win for Leeds and and propping them up in the table. So. They're they're doing well in their first season back for now. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, I was a bit kind of uh, questioning the Everton lineup when I saw Davies there. Um, I don't know if I was alone in that. But when I look at the bench now, there was not many good options, to be fair to Carlo. When I watched the game, I thought a draw or a Leeds win was all that was going to come from it, in my honest opinion. Harrison smacked one off the post and uh, uh, Bamford was robbed by a Pickford save. Maybe not a robbery, but he made a nice save with his feet earlier on in the the first half, I believe. And uh, yeah, I just enjoy watching any Leeds game. As we always say, they're very exciting and it's just back and forth kind of game. Um, Jake and I were touching it on, I think during the match, if they had a bit more quality in some of their positions, they, they probably would be able to get a lot more results and a lot more comfortable results. Some other players don't seem to have a lot of quality. I was very impressed with Calvin Phillips. He was probably like, not really doing too, too much offensively, but spraying the passes and breaking up the play. I just like how he controls the game, even if it is like just spraying balls side to side kind of thing, spraying long passes. I think he's really, really good, and I don't think he'll leave uh, Leeds. I think he's from the area, but he could definitely play at a bigger club, in my opinion, even though it's only been a small sample size. Uh, for Everton, they had their chances, too. They had that uh, Rodriguez goal, which was ruled out for offside. And uh, I don't know. Well, I'm just interested to see how long the injury crisis, is, or crisis lasts with the fullbacks and how Carlo deals with that. If he goes to a back four with Godfrey at right back, which I don't really see. And I'll just put it to Jack here. I don't have too much to add, but was there a reason why Nkunku didn't play, or what was that? What happened there?
0: Yeah. So to be honest, like there wasn't a reason. Carlos said in his, in his like pre match, saying that Nkunku could play, but he he believed that a be could as well but i'd be like i'll just backtrack a little back to what you guys are saying i'm glad that you guys mentioned like the bench because when you look at the you've got some really good players in this everton starting 11 and they've shown that at full strength with their 11 starting players they're very very good but that's like the drop off is extreme like i'm just going to read the bench here you've got fabian delf oh god uh Gilfie sigurdsson doesn't do anything. Yeri Mina has been questionable this season. Cenk Tosin was an Allardyce signing, so you can't trust that. Bernard, he doesn't do anything, even though he should. Uh, Andre Gomez is not the player that we had on loan. And Jonas Losel, who got signed by, uh, signed from Huddersfield, and I don't even think he's played a game yet, but it just shows the the drop-off when you have like Hamas Rodriguez or Charleston, who or Charleston was awful and very wasteful today, Calvert-Lewin, like um, you've got some really good players in there, but the drop-off is extreme. So when we're getting these injuries and obviously uh, Dean's going to be a massive loss. Um, but the, one of the main things I want to touch on, we may have touched on it before, but I think it's something that, fans these days would just do way too much is the fact that when you question a manager's choices that doesn't or if you if you criticize a manager's choices and selection and tactics that does not mean that because you criticize them that doesn't mean that you don't think they're like the right manager for the job if you know what i mean it happens all the time where if you criticize the manager people think that you automatically don't like the manager and I, i would be critical of carlo in this situation because I don't think I've ever seen a game where if you have a left, if you have a right footed left back, like that's not going to work, especially in a wing back. So a who did really well last week, like he should be playing right wing back. He was very, very good. And then just put a left footer in there. It, it should, in my opinion, should have been in Kunku because he's got more similar playing style. The Dean is willing to bomb forward. Um, but then again, I'll, I'll trust Carlo in, in terms of the the levels that he believes in Kunku's at because he is still really young. Uh, but I, I don't think like tactically that makes no sense if you're getting the full, the wing backs to push and provide width, it's not going to happen because you saw Awobi. It's not like he was bad, but going forward just having to cut onto the right foot on the left side doesn't really make sense. Tom Davis on the right, he he wasn't bad, but he didn't really do anything other than a really good cross to. Decoury, who shoots it straight at Meslier, for uh, early on for a huge chance. But yeah, other than that, like you said, Aiden, I thought Calvin Phillips. Um, I thought Calvin Phillips, Allen, and Rafinha were the best players on the pitch. I think, I think, I, I think Calvin Phillips may have finished the game with a hundred percent pass completion because he was just spraying them all game. Just every time he got the ball, just switching the play. He was very good. Rafinha. For most of the game, I I was worried about, but thought like by the end of the game, or close to, I was like, okay, he doesn't have much end product. And then he pulls out, out of all of the chances that this game had to offer, Leeds score the most difficult one, which of course that happens. But I think Leeds deserved the win. Um, There was a lot of like media people were saying that like it was the Leeds masterclass and that they destroyed Everton. I I don't know where that was from because they had two. Richarlison also got a goal disallowed off of off of a header and and Hamas was very close for his but it, it it just shows like the the team's headed in the right direction it's still not Carlo's team like the bench is just the biggest indication on that and like you said both you guys said at the start of the season it looks like these signings for Everton are good but if you get injuries, like how's the squad depth? And it's, it's not there. And like, it's not even like you're going from like really good players to decent players. You're going from really good players to bad players. They're not good at all. So uh, we'll we'll have to see Everton. They play against Burnley at home next week. And the one, the one positive that I could probably take from this is the fact that um, that Everton just another team every single team that they've played this season they've shown that they can create chances um and and oftentimes especially in in the in the past uh past like five or six seasons that's been where they've struggled they have the style of play the defending hasn't been too bad which is currently a problem but when they keep chopping and changing that kind of makes sense so hopefully something works pretty soon but Um, The defending has been the problem this season, but usually it's breaking down teams and Everton are usually a little bit better against the teams that have a go, but when they play against the Burnleys and the teams that just want you to break them down, they usually can't do it. So at least now it looks like they have the quality to do that. Um, Hopefully they can bounce back against Burnley, but yeah, it's not the end of the world, but um, from Leeds perspective, like they're such an exciting team to watch. I would have a stroke if I supported them leads watching that every week. Like the first 10 minutes of the game, just no defending from either team. Just like no defending whatsoever. That was oh uh, very stressful. But yeah, very good result from them. Uh and yeah, Everton definitely need to bounce back. But uh we'll move on now to West Brom against Sheffield United, Sheffield United who are struggling massively this season at the bottom of the table. Again, another game without a goal with Gallagher getting the goal for West Brom. I didn't see this one, but again, Sheffield United can't score. Uh, Jake, do you have anything to add to this? Obviously, it's a huge win for West Brom.
1: Yeah, not much. It was kind of like, it's weird because we know how both teams play. They're kind of defensively minded, and it was like an attacking match between defensive teams, if that makes sense, Uh, just because they're both kind of, they both kind of lack quality, which is kind of surprising in Sheffield United's case, who finished uh, 10th last season. But it, it did look like a game between relegation uh, strugglers. Um, Sheffield United had 21 shots, and uh, West Brom had 17. So that goes to tell you <laughs> what kind of game it was. Um, not not exactly a game that should have finished like four three or anything like that. But and just like you said, Sheffield United really struggling to get to get goals. Um, they spent 18 million on Brewster, which obviously has not worked out uh, so far. It's still early on, of course, but. In the in the situation at the Sheffield United need goals pretty much immediately, and and hopefully um, they can start finding them from somewhere. And I don't have too much to add. It just does not look good for Sheffield United. They might they look like they might get relegated this season. Maybe everyone's prediction last season was a season early for them. But uh, yeah, it's not looking good for them right now. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, not too much else to add. And then than it was a good good low finish from Gallagher for the goal. And there was a few good saves, uh, one from Johnstone where he tipped it over the bar. I think it was from Baldock. And then uh, another one from Ramsdale. And then I think Baldock had another opportunity in the box where he blazed it over the bar uh, when he had a decent opportunity. But that's really it. It was, like you said, it's kind of an offensive game from two pretty poor teams it must be said and uh it's a big win for west Brom. as i said last weekend whoever could win this game was kind of scratching themselves a bit closer to getting out of the relegation fight and west Brom did that and there's a lot to do for sheffield i don't know what their owners are thinking what chris wilder is thinking if they're going to need to make any investments in january to try and salvage the situation if brewster can come good he's looked poor so far But there's a lot of questions to be answered, especially in the goal scoring department. So, as we always say, we'll see how it goes. What do you think, Jack?
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, Brewster, for the amount of money, I think he cost like 25 or 27 million. It was very expensive. Like, well done to Liverpool for getting these fees for some of these young players that they don't use. Like, fair play. I can't, I can't, I have nothing bad to say about that. They have huge money for some of these players. But, um, uh, yeah I didn't like I said I didn't see the game but I'm just gonna say I just can't see Chris Wilder getting relegated with this team I, I can't see it I cannot see that man letting this team get relegated so I'm probably just gonna die on that hill until the last season until they get relegated but uh, yeah hopefully hopefully they can turn it around because I like Sheffield United and it is a big win for West Brom uh, another big game I didn't see this one guys but I will give you what I heard, based off all the media, and you guys can tell me what actually happened. Uh, Southampton two, Manchester United three. Basically, what I heard was first half a pretty poor game from both sides. Southampton getting a couple of the goals that were apparently they they were deserved goals, and then Cavani came on and completely changed the game for everybody. I mean, Man United complete yet another comeback, winning three two. Uh, Jake, I'll come to you first. What were your thoughts on this one?
1: Honestly, it wasn't <laughs> – you see United struggle against the teams that put pressure on them, but this wasn't a bad game at all from United. Um, S- Southampton's goal is kind of coming against the against the run of play, mostly Bednarik's first goal because after they scored, they had a little bit of a spell there, which uh, ended with Ward Prowse scoring a, a free kick, which, by the way, just a quick side note, probably the best free kick taker in the league. Um, but, yeah, it was a really good game to watch. Um, obviously as, as usual, I was frustrated when you were down, but then it's these kinds of comebacks that make you appreciate, uh, the game that we watch. Um, but yeah, it was nice. Like you mentioned Cavani, obviously the big, the big game changers, uh, got the assist for Bruno's goal and then scored, uh, the two, the two headers, one, the 74th, one the 92nd. So great, great way to end the game. Um, and I'm just reading off from from Opta here. It says Manchester United are the first side in Premier League history to win four consecutive away games despite trailing in each game. Um, that's that's really kind of an amazing stat. United have been losing their last four away games, but they've managed to pull it through. Uh, it's like we were saying, United like playing away a lot more than at home at the moment. Um, and yeah, just you saw we saw Ralph Hazenhudel in the game or in the post game getting really frustrated with the way United were celebrating the win. He said that, that they were celebrating the win as if they had won the premier league title. So I'm not sure. um, Obviously I'm just going to defend United here, but I'm not sure if he expected United to just, just, you know, walk away contently with their with their mouths closed after, after staging a great late comeback, but uh, either way to each their own, but yeah, very good. Uh, I was very, very happy after this one. United played very well. Um, And yeah, just they didn't really give Southampton that much of a chance, even though Southampton were 2-0 up. It felt kind of like the game was away from United, but it did not feel like Southampton were going to add to the lead or or that they were really going to punish United. So uh, yeah, it was just really good to watch. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, I thought that United were pretty good for the first 20 minutes. They were really dominating the possession and kind of knocking it around at it at a decent pace that we're not used to seeing from them uh, to start the game. And I think a large part of that was Donny van de Beek uh, starting in the Premier League, which was good to see. And um, it was obviously the goals they conceded. They were really disappointing uh, because they're probably the most likely avenues of, of threat that, Southampton could provide without having Danny Ings in the team, a corner and a free kick from Ward Pros. Um, I'm sure that Olier or, or the coaching staff had some sort of instructions not to be fouling around the area with Ward Pros on the pitch. He's he's going to be putting it in the top ends and I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I'm sure a lot of people were fearful. But I said, is Ward Prowse going to put this in the top bins? Right as he was stepping up to take it, um, I'm not. A, a bunch of people were uh, disappointed with De Gea. I'm not one of those. I, I think it was just a really class free kick curling away from the goalkeeper, and De Gea clattering into the post, uh, injuring himself. Which at the moment. At that moment, I was laughing about it because I said, holy, the calamity of this club conceding that goal and the keeper injuring himself off the post was just funny to me. But overall in the game, yeah, Cavani changed it. I have to give a bit of credit to Oli. It was a bit of a tough decision, but he made the right decision in the end. Usually he sticks by the Sir Alex Ferguson rule and subs at the 70th minute. But this time he decided the game needs to be changed, took off Greenwood after the 45th, brought on Cavani. And Greenwood uh, could have had uh, maybe one or two goals early on in the first half, Uh, had an open net of sorts, but Vestergaard kind of showed him to the outside and didn't allow him to get a shot off. He ended up trying to curl it around him, but put it in the side netting. And then he, he struck one straight at um, McCarthy and then the rebound was saved by excellently by McCarthy from Bruno. Bruno probably should have scored that just thrashed in the top of the net. Uh, But Cavani really the focal point of the attack. We haven't had that. It's a much different player from from Martial and he's uh I think he's scored I think it was like from 2015 or 2016. He has joint the most headed goals already for United of any player that's played for them, which is pretty impressive. He tied like Maguire the Kaku. Ridiculous.
1: and Lukaku.
2: That's right. Yeah, he already has um the same amount of the away goals in the Premier League as Lacazette in like the last three years. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) it's just kind of funny. I'm sorry, but this is hilarious. Um, And yeah, I think United, they deserved it just to show the heart. And it's understandable Hassan Hoodle was disappointed. I mean, his team looked tired in the second half and it was really just a matter of time. United were coming on to them. And if Rashford would have squared it to Cavani, it could have been even worse for Southampton. That was an easy goal. I don't know what Rashford was doing with this usual head down smack it straight at the keeper but yeah i'm i was i was very happy obviously brought it back and the classic club comeback for manchester united not much else to add there because we saw how it turned out after that after PSG with psg today what do you think jack
0: that's yeah, a it's a good result in the league so their their away form continues um Obviously Southampton. I know Hasnoodle his quote his quote was definitely super salty. He's basically saying like that many and I were like celebrating like they won the league, which just shows that Southampton are a very, very good team. So a little a little salt there, but yeah, Southampton are good, but it's a it's a really good result for Manchester United. Uh the big game of the weekend, Chelsea playing against Mourinho Spurs. In a game that finished nil nil. I didn't see this one. I don't think it surprises any of us that this was nil nil. I've seen some people say it was a very exciting game to watch, like tactically. Others have said it's very, very boring and an awful game to watch. I'm probably going to go with that. And um, also, I want to know your thoughts on the post game from Mourinho calling Spurs not even a horse in the race, but calling them a pony instead. So, Jake, I'll come to you first. Yeah, just the the post the
1: post game first. It was kind of classic, just the usual quotes that were are used to. Just trying to take the pressure off his of Spurs team, I guess. That way, when they when they Spurs it up, um, they have an excuse. But to be honest, I do like Spurs, so I kind of <laughs> out of all the teams that are in the title race, I would definitely like for them to win the league. But except aside from United, of course. But anyway, uh, one probably one of the most boring games we'll watch this season. It's games like this, why Mourinho is out at Manchester United, and why obviously this was a while ago, but this is one of the main frustrations with him, and it's why a lot of the fans wanted him out. It was just games like this. Obviously, you see now United are good. Against, I know I'm spinning this to United, but you see now United are good against the big teams here, but it's just like extreme caution, which no one wants to see. It's just like the fear of getting beaten instead of like
2: to- tr- You never tried to win the game when he was a manager of United.
1: Yeah, that's the. That was probably one of my main complaints too. You'd watch against a big, big, the game against a big team, sorry. And you knew that nothing would happen aside from the games against Arsenal, which were a given victory for Mourinho. Um, but yeah, this game was awful. Spurs finished with one shot on target the whole match um, and I think 39% possession. So it's not, it's not like they were trying to win the game at all. Um, another big game against Arsenal this weekend coming up. Harry Kane might be missing that after picking up an injury in training today so uh, who knows about that but honestly I thought it was a shocking game like Jack mentioned the commentators were trying to spin it positively saying it was an intriguing matchup and like a fascinating tactical battle but it was not I can confirm I can confirm it was, it was quite boring and Chelsea definitely Chelsea probably deserved to win but even even then they weren't too effective going forward either but one a, a shocking nil-nil game a, a 90 minutes I would like to have back Aiden what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I agree. It was very boring. Um, Chelsea did have the better of the play, and we're just kind of knocking it around. Spurs just sitting in, and I think Spurs were just really trying to nullify, like, the left side with Chilwell and Werner. And Ziyech ended up having a lot of the ball, but his quality wasn't there. He kind of looked, like, not match sharp or something. He's overhitting tons of crosses, and just his final ball wasn't really there. And, yeah, just Chelsea ended up taking, like, a few yellow cards to stop Spurs on the counter. Um, But there wasn't really much intent from Spurs to win the game at all, even though you see, like, the best combination in the league, probably, of Kane and Son up there. Uh, There wasn't much intent. And on Mourinho's comments, yeah, they are just kind of classic, taking the pressure off and just allowing hopefully from his point of view, allowing his players to go and just play with a free mind and not not worry about that. And I have to give a shout out. I thought Joe Rodon was good for his debut or like one of his first games, I guess his debut. I've seen him. I don't know if he played any other games, but he was pretty good. Andy Townsend tried to say he was shaky, but I do not really think so. I thought he was very good. And uh, yeah, they kept a the clean sheet. Spurs have been really good defensively, but like that's how they're set up, right? Um, I remember saying this. It was against City that they were good defensively, but they are kind of set up in that low block where they have their defenders have a lot of time to shuffle over and make last-ditch blocks because they have a lot of screening in front of them. Time to adjust. And, yeah, Dyer and Rodon, that's a good aerial pairing. Some of the better play from Spurs came from Reguion, I'd say, but there's not really much to comment on. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty boring. What do you think, Jack?
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit, It's obviously a better point for Spurs because they were the away team, and it, and it keeps them at the top of the table. Um, it's also funny watching Mourinho in the post game as well. I think he may have posted. I think I don't know if it was a post or something. I saw, but basically he said that they were very, very uh, disappointed to only come away with a point. And that's what he wants to see from his team. But, like, I saw a picture and he was like trying, it was basically like smiling while he was saying that he's obviously just lying because he's super happy with the point against a, against a title a title contender. So, good point from Spurs, even though their XG I saw in the second half was like 0.00. So, they obviously did not have a go in the second half, but they got the point that they wanted. Uh, move on. Another exciting game Arsenal falling. To Wolves two one. Uh, I think that the main talking point of this game is obviously um, Raúl Jiménez getting a terrible uh, injury with I think I believe it was like a, a skull fracture. So we we wish uh, Jiménez the best because you don't like that's such a serious injury. We don't know when he'd be playing again. In in terms of the game again, Arsenal. Arsenal are and I like Arsenal. Arsenal are the worst team in this league to watch. They are awful to watch. It's like watching Sam Allardyce. It's awful. Like I you gotta you gotta do something. Like, obviously, they don't have creative players. So you gotta do something to get more out of the golden boot winner from last season in Aubameyang. Like, just I, I don't know what to say. Obviously, Wolves are a good team, and and I thought that Pedro Neto and Padensi, they they were the ones scoring the goals. I thought those two and Adam and Troy were calling, causing all sorts of problems, but Arsenal just, just all like so bad to watch. I just want to see something from them, but Jake, what, what are you thinking about this one?
1: Yeah. Like you said, obviously the main thing that people are going to remember the game by was Raul Jimenez's head injury, <clears throat> a fractured skull, obviously awful. You kind of heard the impact uh, of when him and him and David Luiz clash heads. It was, it was really gross for lack of a better word. Um, which obviously it'll lead me into a territory where many people have gone into and where I try to avoid, but I don't understand why there's not temporary subs for concussions. We saw David Luiz bleeding through his bandage uh, in the first half and then having to be subbed off at halftime anyway. So I don't want to put stuff out there that isn't true, but I don't know if Arsenal's medical staff did like their due diligence, if he ended up needing to be subbed off anyway. I don't want to accuse them of anything because obviously I wasn't there. I don't know. It's just uh, quite a big concern. We've seen a lot of a lot of players retire and, and have uh have some pro- personal problems due to concussions, not just in in soccer, football, but with many other sports too. So obviously, it's a worry. I think temporary subs it literally can't hurt in any single way. It can only make things better. So I don't know why they don't introduce it. Um, and yeah, but going to the game now. We saw, obviously, Gabriel, uh, it's just a little joke here, but Gabriel kind of put Pedro Neto shot into his own net, and then he scored a couple minutes later, so it was kind of a mixed three minutes for him. But uh, very happy with Wolves winning now. They're up in the table after kind of a slow start. Arsenal, bottom half of the table, like you said, not good to watch at all. It just depresses me more every single weekend that United lost against this team. I mean it, I keep I dwell I, I seem to dwell on United's you know, losses more than the wins, but anyway, Arsenal not good to watch. I don't know what, what they're doing. <clears throat> like you said, Aubameyang, he's playing in the center for the last couple of games, but he still hasn't done anything uh, since he signed his new contract. I don't know if he lost I mean, obviously a big player like Aubameyang doesn't have to prove himself. But I don't know if he lost motivation when he got his new contract or what it is, but they're trying everything that they can to get to get the best out of him. It's not quite working yet. Uh, so we'll see what happens. William, obviously, I don't think he's been a good signing for Chelsea. He was free, so I definitely you, you can understand it, but it was not not the best f- for them. Yeah, just just again, we uh, we hope that Raul Jimenez is is okay and he comes back to playing uh, sometime soon. Uh, Aide, what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, that's that's not unusual. We're usually on the same page, all of us. But uh, the big talking point was the injury and hope. Jimenez is back sooner than later, which like not really seeing that that's going to be the case with a fractured skull, but as sad as it is to say, it's a business in a f- football and I don't really know where Wolves is going to go now with without having Jimenez, the focal point of their attack and basically their main player. It's not really good for Wolves as a whole club. And I just want to focus more on Arsenal. They're very, very poor, very poor. Oof. Um, I thought United was concerning this season. And then you just watch Arsenal. It just makes things a little bit easier. They're not really offering anything in attack. When you just look at the lineup on paper, they're trying to like put in players to bring creativity who aren't good enough for this level players that have had one or two good games in the Europa league, like Willock, they're not really ready to be premier league starters, but that's who they're trying to solve the picture because they, Arsenal, as much as they sign a couple of good players, like Gabriel is the only player. Even though he did kind of have a bit of a mare for the for the Wolves' first goal, he's really the only player that I can say consistently this season can hold his head up with a, with like kind of in high regard. He's he's played quite well, and uh, I think he might be like tied for second top scorer of the season. I could be wrong, but I think that's correct. And Obamiang, his one shot on target, I think he yeah, had this game was celebrated. So that's not really a, a great sign of what's going on there. Ann, I will admit, a couple seasons ago under the Mourinho, I thought he was going to come to United. That was a big, big rumor, and I thought that was be decent, but I think that speaks more to United at that time and still just needing a right winger that never has come. Um, but I'm glad we didn't get him because he's absolutely just doo-doo. He's not good. And... Uh, yeah, I like the skill from Podence for the for the second Wolves goal. Just flicking it up over Gabriel and then slotting it in the bottom corner. And uh now I guess the stage is kind of set for the uh for the uh, young man Fabio Silva to kind of take over the attack. Uh hopefully he can have a big impact and this could be <laughs> kind of a season to make a name for himself without him and As being there. I'd also be interested to see if Neto could go up into a striker position or Podence one of those two because they're very dangerous, and both of them have bags of pace, it looks like. So that can cause a lot of Premier League defense's problems. And, uh, yeah, Wolves don't concede too, too many goals. So they should comfortably finish above Arsenal the way that this is going. And Arsenal just making top half. That I'm not trying to be funny right now. Like They do not look good at all. So if they make top half, that would be good right now. Sorry for ranting. That's all I have to say.
0: From from Arsenal's perspective, I just want to see Arteta try to change things up because it's obviously not working. And obviously, when you have your your principles and you have a style of play, you want to stick to that and then recruit from that point. But even now, there's from the last couple of games for a while now, really, especially compared to the end of last season, where you could kind of see progress being made, and now you watch them, you don't really see what what the plan is. They're not defending well. They're not creating. Any chances? So, Aubameyang, who is everybody knows he's a poacher. He's not going to score his own goals, but he'll put all of the all of the chances away. So, I, I don't put it all on him. But yeah, like like you said, he hasn't done anything. And a player of his quality, he needs to do something, uh, especially for the money he's on with the new contract. But I just want to see. Arteta, if it's not working and nobody's really seeing what the plan is, I think you gotta you got to deviate from the master plan for a little bit and find something that works because at this point, Arsenal are doing very, very poorly. And I, I just want to see – personally, want to see some changes to, to see uh, improvements because they, they're not doing well at all. But we'll have to wait and see. Like we say, every single week, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, second last game of the weekend, Leicester taking on Fulham. In a game that I expected Leicester to just easily beat Fulham after watching uh, Fulham's defending against Everton and other teams this season, but uh, Fulham actually coming away with a huge win, 2-1 over Leicester uh, and also scored a penalty. So it's a big day for Fulham. It was a big result for Fulham uh, who get the 2-1 win and Leicester not a good result from them. Some questionable choices with the lineup in my opinion from Leicester playing a a three or a five at the back if you want to look at it that way but full this I think this is about Fulham today Jake do we think that Fulham have any chance of staying up I'm gonna stick with no just because
1: <laughs> we know the record they're defending <laughs> they're not <laughs> they're not they're not a great team so I, I still stick with my prediction of
2: no Aiden what do you think relegation fodder Yeah, it's tough to say because they do play decent football from time to time, but the defense is a real big issue. It kind of reminds me of maybe Aston Villa from last season a little bit. Maybe these guys play a little bit more of a passing style, but the defense is a very big issue. Um, I know it's kind of a cliche or like kind of an obvious thing to say, but it'll all depend on. There are other games against the likes of Sheffield and West Brom and, and stuff like that. Um, I can see them playing better than West Brom in situations if when they come up against them again. But West Brom just being able to beat them off of, like, sheer, like, more a little bit more quality and, and a bit better defending as a team kind of thing and just pipping, like, a 1-0 against them. So, yeah, if to answer your question in a long-winded way, I'd say Fulham are still going down. What do you think, Jack?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I did think today, or at least for the weekend, they definitely deserved the result. They just kept hitting Leicester on the counterattack, which is a strategy that I think most teams should probably use because Leicester, when they're caught up high up the field, you can definitely get in behind their defense at the moment. And uh, yeah, Fulham, huge result for them. We'll have to see if they can get any consistency and try to keep the ball out of the back of the net because they can build from there. I don't think creating chances is a problem for them. It's more the fact that they can't defend and for the most part can't score penalties, but at least they've done one of those things uh, at the weekend. So it's a big result for them. Uh, Last game of the weekend, West Ham taking on Aston Villa Uh, West Ham with a two, one win against Villa. A lot of VAR controversy. I don't really want. I think we're all tired of going over all the controversy. It's it's just annoying every single game, um, when VAR gets involved at this point until they figure out how to use it properly because just a lot of a lot of questionable decisions. But um, if we if we look away from that, West Ham, two one win. David Moyes, he's doing it. David Moyes is absolutely carrying West Ham, and they're doing really well at the moment a lot higher than anybody would have expected up in fifth place now i I think i had them finishing like 17th in in my in my uh season preview so they're doing much better than that at the moment uh what'd you think of this one and what do you think of west ham so far jake
1: yeah west ham definitely if there's any prize for the biggest surprise of the season or overachievers or anything of that category i think west ham are cleaning up uh (laughs) Obviously, in this game, they, they weren't that great. Um, they they didn't do much uh, offensively, but of course, they did what they needed. So no one's going to complain about that. Uh, they got off to a great start. Angel of Bonas scoring a header off a corner uh, in the second minute, which helps. And Bowen scoring in the first minute into the second half. So Aston Villa just a bit late coming out of the changing rooms for both uh, for both halves there. Other than that, Villa kind of dominated. Jack Jack Grealish scoring. Uh, obviously, he's I think he's already like have on well, he's well on course to have his best season ever in terms of end product. Just a little bit worrying for Aston Villa because they've lost four of the last five, including teams that they should be winning against, or you know uh, of their their of their caliber at, at the same level as they are. So maybe a little bit worrying for them, but obviously I think they've got themselves already in a good enough position. Uh, early in the in the season, that they don't have to to worry about relegation this season. They'll be picking up points uh, against the likes of Fulham and Sheffield Sheffield United and uh, West Brom, the teams that we've mentioned earlier. So there's not too much worry for theirs. It's funny because uh, Ollie Watkins, we've seen him score three against Liverpool and two against Arsenal, but I'm not sure if he scored in any other other game. Uh, maybe he scored in one other, but he seems to save his best for the big teams. Obviously, I'm not saying he's he's. Um, He's not perform he's not showing up against the smaller teams. he's just not not finding the net against them. But yeah, Villa have a nice team like like we always like to to say about about the Cash with his, with an assist. Um, and yeah, just again, obviously I think mo- more of the credit has to go to to West Ham than Villa being bad because nobody expected West Ham to, to be in this position right now for now so he's starting to perform uh, Thomas Suchek in the midfield he's, he's performing very well. And uh, Kufal, the other uh, Czech Republic international, just uh, uh, coming to the club from the same club as a as a Suček. They just have the scouting at the one club, and the Czech Republic, and it's working out well for them. Uh, they're playing well, just in, in their in their back five uh, because it's really back five. They don't play with the wing backs uh, high too much, but obviously it's good from West Ham. They're they're a decently likable club. They're a big club. Um, with some good players, so I think they're they're doing much better than, than what they expect. But it's nice to see some surprises in this season. Uh, what do you think what this game? Aide?
2: Yeah, it was a uh, disappointing for our podcast that Villa took the loss here because we all know they're the podcast second favorite team. And West Ham, just I gotta say, I was completely wrong. I thought they were like for lack of a better term, shit. Like I thought they were not good. I had, that, I had them 18th. Like at the beginning of the season, like Jack said, he had them 17th. I thought they were going down, but Moyes, he, why would you ever bet against Moyes? I I don't know why I put them there because last season I was saying Moyes is going to keep West Ham up. If anything that's going to happen. And yeah, it looks like he's going to easily clock in for a top 10 finish. Um, The table is really tight, so they could fall quickly if they don't keep up standards, which I could see. But you have to credit them for not having a lot of the ball and just taking their chances when uh, they're there for them, like the Ogbonna header. If you're going to, like, capitalize and get results that you're not supposed to in the league, those are the type of goals that you have to pick up on set pieces and stuff like that when you only have two shots on target the whole game. And, uh, yeah, Jared Bowen, he's really, like, in my opinion, he's probably like the most creative player or kind of the X factor in the team. Not uh, many other players can kind of take the ball and, and run with it like he can or dribble past players and create something for themselves in this West Ham team. So I think that's really good. And West Ham, they just have a really physical side. So that's obviously good in the Premier League, where that's one of the number one attributes winning aerial battles and getting to loose or second balls, getting to 50 50 tackles and winning them. So I think they'll be 8th to 10th now on reflection. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing since I put them 18th, but I think that's what they're finished. And Villa, they really have to step up. I don't know what's going on. I mentioned last week that they were kind of sliding with their form, and everyone was still really high on them last week, even though they didn't want to look at the form in recent weeks. But now another loss here, as Jake was pointing out, uh, whatever it is, four and five. And it could start to become a little bit unhinged if they don't get it together. I think they're going to score goals um, over the season. It's really just how many can they keep out of the back of their net. And without having a raw Barkley, that's going to be a, a bit of a challenge. Now I think that was a real key figure in the team for them, keeping possession and taking the pressure off of Jack Grealish in terms of creativity. Um, so I look to, John McGinn to step up in that regard and future weeks. And I'm excited to see how Villa and West Ham get on. They're kind of more of the intriguing sides. They, they'll finish. They could finish rather higher than most people would expect them to at the start of the season. And that's why I'm interested to see where they go. Back to you, Jack.
0: Yeah, I agree with that most, uh, especially the point about Ross Barkley. I think he was, uh, huge in terms of just just being able to carry the ball and just taking all like a lot of the pressure off of Grealish because you know Barkley's probably not going to give the ball away and um yeah West Ham's perspective I don't think we can really be too harsh on ourselves about the league tables because because uh, every let's be honest everybody gets their elite predicted league table wrong like like yeah. Spurs are in first place right now and the league is very tight so it'll be it'll be interesting to see, but (laughs) we'll have to wait and see what happens. Like we always say, but yeah, I I don't think there's much to add. Um, I think that's all for the podcast this week. Follow us on Twitter at OTL soccer pod. Send in any questions you have uh, by email at OTL soccer podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week.
2: Thanks. 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 Bye.